Today's Day of Chang Show is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. By showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. And even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. Today's Day Chang Show is also brought to you by Shopify. You might be an aspiring entrepreneur or an established business owner, but you're never alone on your entrepreneurial journey. When you have a question, need some advice, or crave inspiration, just visit the new Shopify space in LA, open seven days a week. To see upcoming classes and events, go to shopify.com slash LA. That's shopify.com slash LA. Shopify has moved in to help you move up. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. We are sitting in the Podfather Bill Simmons office, where I have had some horrible podcast moments because it's really nervous, right? Bill's given us you've the opportunity at, to do this. You've been good at it for like eight months. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, but I w- wasn't originally. It was really hard. No, so you hard. were you were good at it. The only thing you weren't good at was when you had to do the intros and outros at the end, then you would go into this weird zone and try to be perfect. But now you know how to do it. Just kind of wing it. Yes. And I'm learning a lot of tips. Did a lot of pods this year. Did We've like, done what, a lot of, 30, 35? 30. But that includes some of the mini pods, right, Isaac? Yeah. yeah. So really it's only like 23, 24. I invited myself on because I wanted to flip the tables on you. Hmm. So you're the guest on your own podcast. Okay. But because I can't speak to any of the stuff that we should talk about, but 2018 is coming to an end. You always hear about these year-end lists, best 10 movies, best 10 restaurants, best 10 TV shows, all that stuff. I'm really interested in food trends. What we'll remember 2018 for from a food standpoint, because unfortunately, I think the thing that's going to define this year when we look back at it is that Bourdain died and Jonathan Gold died. And that's yeah. people remember for that. But I don't think that should be the only thing we remember, as great as those guys were. What else happened in 2018 from a restaurant slash food standpoint? Wow. I think you're seeing a lot of the same trends that have been percolating over the past sort of 10 years, right? I think you got to start off with like the food tech bit. I've had a couple things that have not gone well on the food tech end, but it hasn't gone well at large, right? Like Blue Apron, some of the other food meal kit things, I think that's still going to be a huge business. But the reason I talk about that is people are using them and more people cook at home or use these things. That means one less meal at restaurants. Yeah. So I don't particularly give a shit about the meal kit itself, but people are still using them and they're getting restaurant quality stuff. So that's something which leads into the other thing is people are cooking more at home than ever before. Cooking home and ordering at home more than ever before. And the third thing to that is Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, you name it. All that shit really adds up. I feel like this is the first year, because initially with the food delivery stuff, not all the best restaurants were on there, or they had interests in kind of cockblocking the people who are trying to Postmates them or whatever. Now I can get almost, I can get most of the good restaurants in LA. And if you have kids and you have the option of, do I want to drag everybody's ass to some restaurant, especially if you have younger kids, well, my four-year-old's going to be running around some 
B-plus restaurant or can I just order the food, bring it to my house? Most people are going to pick that. And I really wonder how that affects the restaurant experience. It almost seems like it's less common now to go to a restaurant, which is strange. It's been a tough couple years for restaurants, yeah, which is why I'm really nervous about an economic downturn. It has the same sort of feeling of 2008 or 2007 all over again a little bit. Restaurant margins are more difficult, but it's also affected what kind of restaurants that are opening up. You know, I think you're seeing more more of the same, which is always like a safe play. But besides competition being tougher because you have other things happening like home delivery, cooking at home, meal delivery, shit like that. We're at a place now where people know how to open up restaurants that they didn't know how to open up before. So copying's happening at a higher level than ever before. Don't you feel that? Like people are opening the same kind of restaurants? With the same kind of themes. But I also think there's been more creativity with either food trucks or a restaurant that's basically, I mean, you've done this with some of the stuff you've done where just come here, get the food and leave. Or the stuff's ready pretty fast, but it's better than usual. And I wonder like where that whole world goes. But you you live in LA most, yeah, you live in LA, you travel a lot, but LA food scene is still distinctly different than I think what's happening else in the world, particularly in say New York. Okay. We've spoken about LA is probably the hottest city, probably the best eating city in America. Yes. People might take umbrage to that, but the reality is, is on the diversity, the ethnic food, the Chinese food, the tacos, you name it, sort of best in class. And like, they're more interesting restaurants. I haven't even been to a lot of them, right? You have Mamser, you have Simone just opened up. So you have high-end fancy restaurants, but you have the high-end casual restaurants that I think work better in LA. I would probably put Major Domo in the high-end casual restaurant. Yeah, uh, You have Bavel that I haven't been to yet, but everyone loves. And it's just that sort of California West Coast culture seems to translate better in that environment. And I feel like LA does that better than anywhere else in America right now. New York still has some... I went to uh, that Fresco on 52nd Street. I can't Which is like a classic, name. classic. It's a classic. Old school. I but, talked about it on House of Carbs, but... The chicken I parm. Still, they want you on chicken parm. Cra- that's it. Well, but they... <laughs> In, if Bill Simmons comes yeah, to your restaurant, I love doesn't when they matter bake if it's it. sushi, just give him fucking chicken I love parm. when they baked it. It was great. <laughs> but they had the good bolognese, but it was an old school restaurant experience. And I still think there's a place for that. And, you know, we've seen all kinds of experimentation with the experience when you're at the restaurant. And I feel like from that standpoint, there's more choices than ever. It's like, what do you want? Do I want to feel like I did when I was 20 years ago at a restaurant? I have this. Do I want to go to your noodle bar that I just went to at Coma Circle where it's two bars, it's hopping, there's buns. You have like this scoreboard over the bar that has what buns are available. That felt very 2018 to me. It was cool. But part of There's that, more creativity with the presentation of the restaurants. Well, I'm there's, saying. I think, less creativity. It's not a derogatory like statement to food because- Less creativity to the actual food. Yeah, because I don't want to use like postmodern, but like you're not going to constantly do new things in food. There's probably like a handful of restaurants. LA has one of them in Vespertine. Yeah. Whether that's your cup of tea or not, it's a very important kind of restaurant. But for the most part, everyone else is just um, making the same stuff people have eaten before. And now we're entering a place where if you don't do something different, yeah, then it's not going to matter. You talk about frescoes on 52nd. Yeah. You like it because- it was nostalgic. It had this positive familiarity. Well, the food energy. was great. Let's start there. It's always going to be the food was really enjoyable. I enjoyed that first. But I, 
I like the fact that like I felt like the waiters and the maitre d had been there for twenty years. Well, it's and, like, yeah, it's an experience. Yeah, it was like I'm I'm going into this. I think the original Reyes is like that too. That's one of the reasons people like that one. I think Peter Luger's is like that. You were talking about iconic institutions yeah. though, but they are different because you can't get that experience anywhere else. So for me, I hate fucking saying this word. So much of food now is more about the experience. I agree. But that's about a- what exactly you're going to eat. You've had chicken parm. Is it the best chicken parm you ever had in your life? It's pretty fucking good. Best bolognese you ever had? It was really good. It wasn't the best. I don't know. I can't rate I think the best. You, I'm Italian. <laughs> no, it was the experience. And I think what's happened is what is basically mirrors what's happened with movies where it's really hard to get people to go to the theater. If they're going to the theater, they want a, a reason that they spent $20 and they parked and they saw it on a big screen versus just waiting until it's on demand. And that's what's happening with restaurants where it's like, I need a reason to go or else I'll just Postmates it or else I'll just get the inferior version for it and I don't have to leave my house. That's exactly the problem, right? That's and- a problem with movies too. That's why the, everybody I talk to always talks about how the $20 million movie is in major trouble. Like The Front Runner. It was a good movie. The one Jason Ram was on my podcast. It was good. If you don't have to see it in the theater, why do you have to go see it? Just wait till it's on demand. And that's, I think, I think people will eventually see it. You will watch it with your wife. You won't go to the theater to see it. But if it's like Creed 2, it's like, eh, I kind of want to see that one in the theater. I want to be in there for the boxing match. Totally agreement. I'm not disagreeing at all. What I'm trying to think about as it relates to restaurants is, is there a future where the $20 million mid-tier movie makes a comeback? You know what with I mean? restaurants. I think you're in trouble on that one. Not you, but I think they No, and, I, and that's ultimately, I think, all the shit that I've been talking about, Bill's been talking about, leads to- Well, what about that steak place you love? Chispaca. Love Chispaca in LA. So that is what, what we would call a $20 million no, movie restaurant. No, no, it's part of a more larger complex. True, it's with Nate Silverton and all that, but it's not a huge space. It's experiential. It is very different because you can't really order how you want your steak done. It's not cheap. And it's actually, in some ways, a lot more of that Peter Luger's idiosyncratic behavior stuff. I still haven't been. I'm going to go over Christmas break. It's great. It's a really great restaurant. And I think he's just basically, without me rambling on forever, in restaurants, you're going to see the the casual takeaway QSR, quick service restaurant model work, and the super high end. The mid-tier, the mom and pop shop is on its way out. I totally can see that. I don't know how it ever comes back. So the high and low... You know, there's not one category, right? Is going to win. And also giant corporations backing restaurant chains. Or corporations backing people like you 10 years ago. Right. That they're trying to get in business with people who are creators who have potential to have multiple franchises of different things. And you've been seeing this a lot this year. People just taking bigger chunks into restaurant groups and trying to consolidate them. So it's interesting times. I didn't think I was going to talk about economics so much, but... I still don't know if I see that quite much in LA because it's it's still a different thing. I think LA is sort of impervious to the trends at large. Well, somebody asked you, I forget who I was with when they asked you this about Co, which is considered one of the best restaurants, but you only have like 23 seats, We have, 30 seats. We do about 45 to 48 people a night. Right. The, the one next door, we probably do the same amount, but it's only like 15 seats. Right. So what's the economic model of that? If some smart business person was looking at that and they were like, hey, so this is great. Why don't you just double the seats? But you can't do that because you're also talking about like, why can't every team be like the New England Patriots? You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that go into it. 
But if on the economic end of that, right, if you're going to do a high end, there's a three mission star restaurant that's like, they're all around $300, like before you even order, you pre-order basically because you have to prepay. One of the partners at one of the restaurants that you met recently, yeah, we won't name, said they do like $23 million in top line revenue. Yeah. And I was like, what? I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded like a lot. It's a lot. And then I start to think about the numbers and it totally makes sense. And I don't know if that works for casual. And I don't know if it works for restaurants that are bigger than that because it's only like a 50 seat restaurant. So you're going to start to see more and more restaurants try to fit some kind of economic model that works, which quite frankly should always be the case for restaurants. (laughs) Like, hey, let's instead of do what we think might be mom's best meatball recipe, let's first do the numbers. Can it even work on a worst case scenario? Well, what happens to the guy or the girl? Who has the one restaurant that's fucking awesome? It's becoming more and more difficult to. And at some point they hit their 40s and they have kids and that restaurant's not as good if they're not in there six nights a week. And they have people coming to them being like, why don't you open three more of these? And that seems to be the story over and over again that happens and it ends badly a lot of times. Yeah. And this is the, we've spoken about with some of the chefs that have been on this pod that the current generation of cooks that are not over a certain age are the first time where we can see how the older generation made their decisions. Yeah. And you bring it up a lot where you're like, hey, like uh, when Tracy McGrady came to the NBA, he was an idiot, had no no idea. Or anyone pre-Kevin Garnett era was like an imbecile as to how to behave, how to take care of themselves. Like a baby deer in the wilderness. Now they know everything. True. They even know how to talk to the media. They're, They're trained. And I feel like you're seeing a lot of younger cooks, younger restaurants that are operated by chefs of a certain younger age that are not going to make the same mistakes, that they're already thinking about scale at a pretty early set. Well, it's kind of like what happened to SNL, right? SNL hit this point in the early 90s when the cast members were on it, realized that it was a stepping stone to go make movies. And that if they created this character, maybe that turns into a movie or maybe they leave and but it was it became almost like going to college for whatever their adult life was going to be. And all of them entered the show looking at it that way. And now if you're a chef, you have to be looking at the same way. It's like, I'm really good at cooking stuff. I've opened a restaurant. And in the old days, 20 years ago, it'd be like, great, I made it. And now it's like, all right, now what? Now what? What's next? Well, we're in a weird point. I never thought I'd be talking about all these sports analogies. But we're sort of coming out of a period right now for chefs where... It took a long time for the NFL and I think less so in the NBA for owners to realize, wait, not every coach that's good at coaching can be a GM, right? Right. It took a long, it took how many years for people to realize like, wait, not everyone can be Bill Belichick. And even he has a ton of help. And not every offensive coordinator is going to make a good head coach. Correct. There's a lot that goes into it beyond just, I know what tastes good. And for a long time, the model of, I know how to make really great X, Y, and Z as a chef. That's going to make me a great chef because I'm going to be teamed up with a restaurateur that's going to know how to do the business. I'm going to hire a pastry chef. I'm going to focus on what I just need to do. And I'm straight. Yeah. We're finally coming out of a period now where people are realizing that model doesn't work anymore. And I don't think anyone knows exactly what works other than how do we make this work? Because it's very hard to find a chef that knows how to do business, do the PR, do the teamwork building, also find time to be like 
developing new plays per se, you know? Well, you also have to nail that first eight weeks because I don't feel like people give TV shows and restaurants a second chance. Rarely, rarely does it happen. Sports, you look at it and I watch uh, DeAndre Ayton on the Suns and I'm like, God, that guy seems lazy. It just doesn't seem like he gives a shit. He's going to put up empty stats. That's his career. But I'm not ruling him out either. He might get it. The light bulb might go off. People don't do that with restaurants. If I go to a restaurant and the food's late, my stepdad always used to say this. We would go to these restaurants and either like the food was late or the check didn't come or they screwed up a dessert. And at some point he would like lean back and he'd look at us and he'd go, take a good look at this place. Meaning like we're never coming back. (laughs) And that's how people feel with restaurants. It's like, if you screw up that first time, that puts so much pressure on those first two months. And this is something you've been really, because you've been burned in the past. And like when going through the major domo, if you listen to the pre-opening diaries, you put so much thought into like, I know there's going to be the knives out for me. I know this restaurant has to be good. And if it's not, I'm going to take a ton of shit and it's not cheap and it's going to be an experience. And I have to win these first eight weeks. I have to. It's not like sports where in football, you can be like, if we we peak in December, we're fine. It's a little bit like sports because one of the things I think when I mean by Chefs coming out of this foggy haze where people are realizing it's hard to do everything, be the coordinator, the manager, all that shit, is now you're getting a, a group of people in the restaurant world, whether they be restaurant owners or chefs, that are now beginning to realize that, wait, I have to tailor plays and create a team to the talent level that I have. Yeah. And that's all we were trying to do, right? Well, how long did that take you to learn, though? How many restaurants? <sighs> You must have done eight or nine I mean, before you I had the know, recipe. This is going to sound conceited, and it's not meaning to. I feel like I, I weirdly been good at that to begin with, and because I've always recognized what I'm not good at, and I've wanted to surround myself with people that were better at things that I sucked at. Where I have fucked up is when I thought I was good enough on my own, <laughs> right? Do. And realizing when you're too overextended, which is another issue that plague chefs these yeah. days. Yeah, and I've been, I've definitely gone through that road. I have this, 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 and oh, I think I can do all of it. And then you realize you can't, but as you're realizing it, a restaurant's opening and it's not ready. And that's hard. And I'm learning for the first time maybe ever that, although I've said before, I feel like I've been one of those head coaches that like, oh, I'm not going to call the plays, but he's definitely calling the plays. Yeah. And this is the first year where I'm not calling the plays. Like I really believe we well, also not. better at hiring people and that also helps. One advantage is you get older and you're running stuff for a while is you, you get better at hiring people. I feel like I'm really good at hiring people now, but it took years to, it's I almost like a skill. you always good at hiring people. Yeah, not right but away. maybe you weren't good at trying to manage that talent. Maybe. I don't know. It's, I have a better sense of what makes sense with the infrastructure we've created. I'm sure you feel the same way. No. And, and listen, I, I've been at the ringer now, what? Since last January, February? When is it? December. December? Yeah, it's, it's been a year. Yeah, it's great. And, you this know, is when we're doing the pre-opening yeah, diaries. This is, oh my God. This it was is over true. Christmas break. We had that one, the dark one. Oh, The fuck. dark pre-opening diaries. I think we had to Jesus edit some Christ. of that. Yeah, we did. You're in a fucking I was looking, dark I was look, place. I was looking at Billy. He just went white. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? I was going to like play Soundgarden in the background. He's <laughs> like, black hole sun. <laughs> That's where I'll get pre-restaurant opening. It's like, what was it, like three weeks before? Yeah, every, it was the world was going to end. That's the way I it felt was like. Great. It was a really compelling podcast. <laughs> By the way, I have a I have a great sports thing for you. 
a sports slash food combo because we've already done five. I think we might as well go for the record. We still got to do sports bar. So yeah, no, we have a bunch of stuff on docket, but I did on my pod with Mark Stein. I talked about how Giannis has now become can't miss. Like if he comes to your town and you love basketball and you have the money to go, you have to go see him. You just have to. Like I remember LeBron hit this point in like 09 where it's like, LeBron's in town. I have to go. I don't know how long this is going to last. I'm not missing this. And I think Curry hit that point in 2015. There's certain guys. Right now, the number one guy I think to see in person is Giannis. And I also think Curry and KD, if healthy, if it's not like crazy expensive to go. And then Shea Gilgis Alexander. I'm just kidding, Isaac. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so I had this whole thing and I was like, Giannis is like, he's hit that point. And somebody emailed me and they said, it sounds like you're describing the Michelin scale for restaurants. And you are now giving out Michelin stars for NBA players. And you're like, Giannis is now a three-star Michelin. Dude, and I was like, that, what a great fucking, idea. My head just exploded. I know, isn't that great? I, I have to like, oh my God. Give a whole star system. It's like, is LeBron two stars or three stars this year? I think Holy he's still three stars. Shit. Isn't this great? Bill, it's so good, This right? is literally the new book of basketball. It's so good. And it's going to be something you can easily update. KD and Curry are three stars. So you know what the definition of a three mission star restaurant is, right? Yeah. Well, why don't you explain Worthy, to the audience? It was, so the whole idea of Michelin Guide without going too nerdy on it is literally created by the tire company Michelin Guide to encourage people to buy tires. They wanted to get people on the road and to fucking visit the world of France. So that one star is like a special place. Yeah. Technically, just being mentioned in the guide without a star is an achievement of itself. Like Kemba Walker this year. It's like, oh, Kemba Walker. One star. Trying to get one star this year. One star in the Michelin guide. It's like, so whoa. Let's let's go with the examples in a second. So can you Google Michelin star, the one star, what it means? But I believe one star is just like a like a good, very good restaurant. Yeah, worth your time. Two is worth a detour, right? Excellent cooking. That is worth a detour. Three is? Exceptional cuisine. That is worth a special. Yeah. Like three stars is is literally doesn't necessarily mean best meal of your life, but you have to change your plans if you get a reservation. So I look at it like this. That's Giannis. Yeah. Change your plans. If we're in, um, we're going to Spain and uh, let's say LBE was around still this restaurant that closed a few years ago and we got a reservation. We're not even in Spain. Yeah. I've done this. I've been this fucking guy. You float as fly to Spain. I had like 48 hours to get to Spain. <laughs> and I did it. Because like, I can't fucking miss this. That is like the epitome of like a three mission star to me. Like the high, even on three stars, you have like levels. But basically, that is one of the best experiences of your life that you have to like change all your plans. But there's around. no four stars. No four stars. Larry Baird is a four star for me. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So let's go reverse. Who are the one stars this year? On the NBA God. Now we're talking about sports, but I love this shit. But I mean, we can blow through it. It's like the one stars are like the Kemba Walker types, okay. right? Then you go to the two stars, and now you're talking about like Embiid. Is it Embiid? Embiid's a two star. He's in person. He's seven foot two, and he's a beast. You're talking about, you see, I think James Harden's down to one star this year. Holy hell. Yeah, I don't think he's two star anymore. Whoa. Westbrook healthy is always two stars. Westbrook now is one star? Not 100% Paul healthy. George, he's two one stars. Star. No, he's one star. Paul George? 100% one star. Isaac? No, he's one so. star. One star? Yeah. One star. Who else two stars? We need two like star, more. Two Kawhi? star is... Well, so see, Kawhi is two stars, but the Spurs fans would always take it personally that you didn't think he was a three star, but he's two stars. Three stars is rarefied territory. 
So two stars is like really you're the best. Two but stars you're not the is best Kawhi's in town. I can't go. I don't feel bad about it. I'd like to go. It'd be fun ben to Simmons? see him. Ben Simmons. He's one star. He can't shoot yet. I need more. I need more data. Kyrie. Kyrie, if he has it going, is two stars. If you're catching him, it's like a three-week hot streak where he's averaging 30 a game. This is so fascinating. I, I you can't even, you don't understand how, how fun this is yeah. for me right now. LeBron More. is still the three-star guys right now. Davis, if healthy. Giannis, LeBron, Curry, KD. That's it. I have a, a surprise two-star then. Well, that's the thing. Is it two-star because it's... Fat John Wall? <laughs> Vukacic. Vooch now. He's, no? He's not even one He's playing star. like a two-star. No, he's fine. He's, he's still Jimmy Jones. <laughs> you see it on the highway, you're excited. Oh, Jimmy Jones. I got a crispy sandwich. <laughs> really? Yeah, he's, he's well, Jimmy Jones. So, so let me add to this. How Love does Jimmy one Jones, ever get to two stars? You could, you could have three-star stats and still be a one-star. Michelin Guide is this. Whatever's on the plate. So it's really just judging you by the numbers itself. So a good question is Dame Lillard. I voted for him. I think I, I put him first team on NBA last year. I don't feel like he's a must-see. So I would say he's either a one-star or two-star, depending how much you like Dame Lord. But if they're in town, I don't feel any obligation to go see Portland. I just watch him on TV shooting threes. But like Chris Paul in the late 2000s, when he was like kind of redefining point guard play again, he was like a three-star for me in 08 and 09. I was like, wow, this guy's Isaiah Thomas. So your definition, if we're using the Michelin system, is not what's on the plate, but literally, would you go out of your way to watch them in person? Well, from the star concept. One is like, if I go, I know it's going to be a great meal. Two is, I'd even go a little bit out of my way for this. And then three is, drop everything, this person's in town. Which is rarefied air. It's not many people. Zion right now is a three-star. Like and if Duke was playing USC or UCLA, I, I would skip my daughter's soccer game for that. I mean, there's no scenario I'm not going to be in the building. I am probably going to Carolina to see Zion this year because I just want to see it. That's the first college Restart. player in okay. 10 years I like, like that. this. Yeah, it's good. This is the whole new way of looking at sports. Yeah. The Michelin system should pay us to grade sports. So football, nobody cares about going to see football players in person. Baseball, out. But Mahomes is an immediate... At no. least on television, three Mahomes stars. Mahomes is three stars. On television, yeah. Well, you know what? You're right. You got to do Michelin Guide, because this actually makes sense. Michelin Guide sort of varies how it judges stuff via the country. So basketball is literally going to the game. Football is, would you watch it? Would you do NFL Red Zone? Or would you actually watch the game? Or even like, it's Monday night and that guy's on TV. He's playing a shitty team. I'm still watching. It's like Mahomes versus the Raiders. I'm still watching. I like Mahomes. Baseball doesn't cut the star category anymore, does it? Unless it's it used a, to. Pedro used to be three star. This year, nothing. Nothing three star. Not even the Red Sox. Mm, wow. No, it's not. Baseball's like Mike Trout would be the quote unquote three star guy. And I've been to Mike Trout games and no, no. the baseball doesn't have it. It's one of golf, the, golf. You got to get house in there. Now house can go crazy on, on the mission system. This got to be a whole new thing on House of Carbs. Well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> hockey, hockey really has it. Because hockey usually will have, like, Connor McDavid's a three-star guy if he's healthy. Oh, man, this is so exciting. We yeah. have a whole new go. playing field. All right, can, That's it. We're done with the it. fucking pod. No, no, we got more. <laughs> Let's take a break and we'll do more. 
Today's Date Chang Show is brought to you by 23andMe. Now through December 25th, the 23andMe DNA kits are on sale. So give the gift of genetic discovery. With 23andMe's Ancestry Composition Report, you can explore where your DNA is from out of 150 plus regions worldwide. You can also learn about the role your genes play in your well-being and lifestyle. For instance, studies have found that almost all elite power athletes have a specific genetic variant in a gene related to muscle composition. 23andMe's Ancestry Composition Report can tell you whether or not you have that version of the gene too. It can also tell you about the genetics behind other senses, like cilantro taste aversion, ability to match musical pitch, and mosquito bite frequency. I'm actually all three of those, and I got my genetic test back, and it says I'm also an elite power athlete, or have the possibility to be so. I love this stuff. I actually bought 23andMe for my friends. I bought eight of them for Christmas presents. I won't share with you my results, but I am 0.1% something that I'll tell you at a later date. And it was the best news I've ever heard of my life. I was very excited about it, but uh, it's amazing. And, it, and I can go down this rabbit hole and see other people that have similar gene pool and stuff like that. So I don't even quite understand it other than I go through it occasionally and it's a lot of fun. Now through December 25th, get 30% off any 23andMe kit. Order your DNA kit at 23andMe.com slash Majordomo. That's M-A-J-O-R-D-O-M-O. That's the number 23andMe.com slash Majordomo. Again, that's 23andMe.com slash Majordomo. Today's episode of The Day Chang Show is also brought to you by Skagen. Cultural identity plays a big part of Skagen's Danish-inspired watches and jewelry. Skagen is named after a Danish coastal town and is inspired by the people who live there. The Danish lifestyle focuses on what's meaningful, being part of a community, living purposefully, but also making time for good food, good music, and good company. No wonder Denmark is known as the happiest place on earth. Skagen connects the dots between culture and design with watches and jewelry that reflect the less is more concept. Skagen offers men's and women's watches, jewelry, and even smart watches in a variety of styles. They create styles driven by their guiding principle, good design for better living. Skagen products look right any time of day, anywhere in the world, now or 10 years from now. Because simplicity isn't just beautiful, it's versatile. Skagen stays true to their heritage, and that makes every design something special. I have a Skagen watch. It's a, one of their digital designs. I love it. I actually think it's awesome. Visit skagen.com to get a special discount on your first purchase when you sign up for emails. That's skagen.com, S-K-A-G-E-N.com. And now back to the show. All right, wrapping up 2018. Give me your three most memorable meals of the year that you had that your uh, restaurant or company was not involved with. So this is going to sound obnoxious, but I think the most memorable meal was both in Scandinavia, Favikin, which is by Magnus Nielsen. And then the, I've been in Nova twice this year, and I would say both of those would probably be one and two for sheer memory. Three, and this is all high-end dining. Um, fuck. You know what I sound like when you do all these lists and you're constantly re-editing your head? I mean, it probably should be high-end dining, right? If if you said like some fried chicken sandwich I had was my third greatest meal, I would be suspicious. No, but- I'd feel like you were pandering. No, you just said this chicken parm was so great. It could be your best meal of the year, right? That was one of my favorite meals of the year. Major domos would involve- No, no, in not favorite, them. best. Is it your best? Best no, or favorite? The question was things. memorable. All right. Then third was my second meal at Spoon by H. I was going to say Vespertine, 
because it was memorable. But goddamn, three's hard. So I'm going to back this up. Noma gets all the praise. You know what? We're just going to keep this in America. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Spoon by H. Uh, number one, Isaac Lee was at that meal. Yeah, it was fantastic. Did it just knock you on your ass? Yeah. I mean, I was so full, but I wanted to keep eating. It's the mm. best sign. Those are the best. Best sign. That was me at your uh, Columbus Circle place. Well, that's because I kept on I wanted to get you. the I- second beef au jus. <laughs> I was still mad I didn't get it. I was going to throw up though. I was going to throw up on Koppelman. So most memorable would be that, number one. Number two, I feel like I just had it. I, I was in Charleston shooting Ugly Delicious. And we had a meal at Rodney Scott's barbecue joint. If you're in Charleston, Ooh. you should go. He's barbecue master, does whole hog and hold on, Rodney Scott. Don't yeah. answer this. I'm trying to figure out white or black for Rodney Scott. Let me think. Not Rodney Rogers. Rodney Scott. <laughs> I'm gonna say white. No. Damn white it. people, I'll tell you this, white people are trying to copy Rodney, Rodney Scott. Scott for sure. Ed Mitchell, Rodney Scott, two of the masters of whole hog barbecue. But as delicious and fucking Rodney Scott's pig is amazing. His chicken wings might be the best chicken wings I've ever had in my life. Rodney Scott. Not even kidding you. And he's got this white sauce. Outrageous. So Charleston. Charleston, yeah. I mean, Charleston. I mean, is this always so biased when you do all these things? But Spoon by H, Rodney Scott. And um, I will say my first meal at Shibumi in LA, which we had. But the second time, I don't think you loved it as much as I did. Was I thought that, that was really you? good. We went there once, I believe. You see, you don't even remember. Shibumi? Shibumi, the Japanese spot downtown run by David Schlosser. That was really good. Are you sure I was there? I don't he think I was there. there. Oh, shit. Maybe it was another we're, we're honorary by, No, Korean. no. It was another white guy. <laughs> you, you had dinner with another white guy? I know. It rarely happens. I thought I was your only white guy. And the reason that was memorable is I did not anticipate or expect that level of expertise and execution in America. It was unbelievably Could you so see good. the chef cooking in front of you? Yeah, he does prepare some stuff out front. Have we ever had the Benihana conversation? Love Benihana. The unbelievable, fantastic version of that, I would want to go to. That exists. The Japanese created that. Teppanyaki. It's basically Benihana. Benihana fucked it up, essentially. As yeah, that's what Benihana. I mean. Yeah. They had a great gimmick, <laughs> and it's like, it's fine. It's not incredible. So what's it called? Teppanyaki, but no one does it in LA that well. That um, corner sitting there. File that one away, Chang. Because, you know, here's the thing with that corner. Little kids all in. You take like an eight-year-old to one of those places. I've always they wanted- can watch the person cut the beef and the chicken. It is like a home run. It's the only time I've ever seen my six-year-old son, then six-year-old son, sit still for an hour. It's great. What's your best go-to restaurant? You're a regular. That's not Major Domo. I was going to say Major Domo. Now it's Jesus. No. You have them. I think I put on four pounds this year because of you. Good. No, bad. Good. Bad. What is your most go-to restaurant? Even do delivered via Postmates. Thank you. Thank you. Because that's crucial. My restaurant of the year is, um, if I can't pick Major Domo, is John and Vinny's. Because they deliver. It's also a really fun place to go to. It's also Italian-American. They appeal to the half Italian in me. (laughs) I'm not just an honorary Korean. I'm half Italian. And... uh, it's a menu that is accessible and yet unique to them, which I think is a really hard place to get to. When you have stuff that I've had other what places, your but order it's your version What's your order? I love their gem salad with the kick-ass dressing that has a little kick on it. And I love their chicken parm. 
And it's my son pizza. loves their twice cooked bolognese. Do you ever get it? Has, p- plays all the hits for the Simmons. Do you family. ever go pizza? We'll get a pizza sometimes. Yeah. Huh. They're my friends. I'm, I really love them, but now I have to open up Bob and a Mike's. Bob right and now. Mike's. <laughs> Bob and Mikey's. Italian American. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I went to Major Domo like 11 times. Not good enough. Not good enough. We need to get into the Italian food delivery market. Bob and Mikey's. Here's the Umbertos thing. Umberto's and Michelangelo's. <laughs> Italian food is the best Postmates slash caviar slash whatever because wrong Chinese no, so much better. No, but Chinese it's you like just still don't know Chinese food. You don't. You still think Yang Chow's is best? No, I don't think it's the best. I told you I found a secret little Chinese food place. I'm not even telling you what it is, but we because we're never going to go there. All the time. Isaac, do you have any interest in going there what? to this Chinese place? Yeah, this unicorn. It's like. Bill's discovered some player from Lithuania that no one's, no one's discovered before. <laughs> it's like, like playing his eighth graders. And- <laughs> He's amazing. Where do you see him? He can shoot threes. There's no way. There's no way this place is good. My goals for Chinese food is I want it to be hot when it's delivered. I want the chicken to not seem like chicken that it, they might have lied and it wasn't chicken. And the fortune cookie game is very important. I like when they're crispy. I like when they put little mustard as well as the soy sauce, but I like the little hot mustard. The hot Chinese food mustard is one of my favorites. Wow. This would basically be like, and I like the noodles. I'm if just I, trying to give you an analogy. It would be like, we're talking about Chinese takeout. What are you talking about? People assume that you are a basketball expert, sports expert. And then you're talking about basketball and people are always like, he doesn't even know the sport. It's the wrong sport altogether. I'm not, for, I'm not looking for art for my Chinese food delivery on a Monday it, night. You, it's just like, just make sure it's oh hot and it tastes gosh. good. I don't want to revolutionize my life. I will say, you know who really had- I like hot and sour soup too. They've got hot and sour soup at my unicorn place. We have Chris Chan in the room. Can we all agree that he, for the both of us, gave us the most unmemorable Chinese experience? Chris Chan is the bum steer of my we life. Won't even, we won't even say the name, but it's no, a very it's, famous it, By the way, not restaurant. his first time with bum steers and food. We were looking at each other and trying to be nice to each other about like, hey, they're just, this is really good, right? Right, Bill? No, that, I've learned the hard way. Chris Chan can't be in charge. And uh, maybe it's great, but whenever we happen to eat a meal with Chris Chen, it seems to be a you know subpar experience. L- I, would to love to have, I would love to have like a, some data guy track all this out, right? Your plus and minus ratio is way negative. A lot to prove in 2019 for Chris Chen. The restaurant trend that I think is the most interesting to me is people scouring open table or wherever. And if there's a lot of reservations open, immediately thinking there's something wrong with the place. Cause this is something my wife does now. She's like, what about this restaurant? She goes, it's like, I don't know. They have six thirty, seven, seven thirty. There's gotta be something wrong. And just like profiling from the open table openings. It is. That is You're almost better profile. off taking your own open table openings and pretending you don't have any openings because it makes it seem like you're in more demand. Wow. A little trick for you. <laughs> okay. You said something that was really, uh, I have a text to prove it. You spelled it wrong, though, but where did you reclaim the best pizza in L.A. was for you? That place, uh, Roberta's. Yeah. You called it uh, Robert's pizza. I was like, I said, I said Roberto's because my, Robert- no, my spell check. No, I knew it was Roberta's, but I said, I was my like, apple turned into Roberto's. I was like, what's Roberto's making pizza? But you haven't been to the branch in Brooklyn. It's an iconic. Yeah, you're dismissive. <laughs> They're my friends. No. no I you're love- just like, oh, there's lots of good pizza. You're oh dismissive about pizza. You oh refuse goodness. to believe there's a Holy so Grail pizza. Bill Simmons is an investor in Roberto's. 
in Culver City. I would no. invest. No, Roberta's is awesome. It's iconic. It has been around in New York. I mean, shit. It's like basically defined Bushwick food. And they have a restaurant in Culver City that is like almost the polar opposite of what they have in Brooklyn. But all reports say the pizza's outstanding. It's really good. But there's been a lot of pizza spots that open up in LA. I know. It's a P- great trend. Pizziana, have you been there? We had bad pizza for the first 15 years I lived here. I'm going to throw my best pizza in America is back in New York because I mm. haven't been... Listen, once we open a major domo, I stopped going out to eat. I, 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 just, I was just at the restaurant all the time. Yeah. So one of the big restaurant openings was the return of Una Pizza Napolitana, which was in New York, then moved to San Francisco and came back and they teamed up with the Contra Wild Air guys. And, you know, it's funny. I think the fucking food there is amazing, particularly the pizza and they got desserts. But a lot of the critics were like, eh, it's really good. But I was like, I think that they're, they were doing what we we're talking about. Like, are they penalizing this person because of the success tax? Right. He was one of the forefathers of he bringing this in with movement. a little hype. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, People expect it to be amazing. Is that what heat check means? What is, I never understand when you say heat check. What does that mean? No, heat check is like, you've been on a nice run in 2018. If you just were like, now I'm opening an oyster place and I know nothing and it's opens next week. Like that would be a heat check. Okay. Like I can do anything. This is literally the, the opposite of heat check, but I felt that here's a person that literally won't do more than one restaurant. He will close it down if he can't be there. Yeah. One restaurant, one chef, and he's so dedicated to it. And the guy makes amazing pizza. Is it cheap? No, it's like $20 pizzas, right? For Napolitan style pies. And it was not a mixed bag. People liked some things, but they didn't like others. I had all the pies. I thought it was one of the best pizzas I've had in New York City. Probably is the best pizza of that style, right? The authentic, I don't even pronounce it, Napolitan and the authentic, how do you pronounce it, Isaac? Napolitano? Napolitano style. Yeah. So Una Pizza Napolitana is unbelievably good. Not just because they're my friends, but I was fucking shocked. And I was mad that the critics didn't give it the fucking mad respect it deserves. I'm trying to find the restaurant in the North End that I loved. Oh, yeah. You were in Boston. You were eating in Boston a bunch. Well, if you're just talking about like... Now we're going out there. Yeah. No, but if you talk about like just, ah, oh, that was a great night. I had a really good time. I was fortunate enough to have a bunch of those dinners. And I went to this one place. It was called Carmelina's. I was there with my wife and my kids. And I was walking around the North End that day and I walked over to see if I could get a reservation because I had heard it was really good. And somebody recognized me and they're like, we'll get you in at eight. Came in, we ordered a whole bunch of stuff. They made us some things off the menu, <laughs> one of your favorites. Um, and it was just an awesome day and it was beautiful in Boston and like North End in Boston in June, if the weather's nice, is probably one of my five favorite places in America to be. And it was just great. And that's like why people love going to restaurants when they have a night like that, when it's like you're with people you care about and the food's great and the weather's nice and you just feel good after. And then you want to throw up because you ate too much. (laughs) (laughs) We had a couple of Major Domo. I remember the first time taking Ben Simmons to Major Domo was pretty hilarious. He kept on eating. I actually was afraid that we were going to burst his stomach. Yeah, then you brought the desserts out. Yeah. And I I got nervous because... I got to know Bill's family better this year, but Ben Simmons, I mean, he's on my level. Yeah, he is. He's like a miniature you, basically. <laughs> he's, he's, a, your, he's your real <laughs> he's your real honorary Korean friend. Mid-meal, he just starts screaming Cornhulio. Yes. 
puts his t-shirt over his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, yes, this he's, is amazing. He's, <laughs> it's, more a of this, <laughs> it's a performance. Any, uh, any food trends that you feel like were in kind of bubbling this year? Anything you noticed? A lot more food that was from the Middle East region. Oh. Ironically. But a lot of it was more, I think a lot more Israeli food, but I feel like Palestine and all the way, basically the entire region all the way to Syria. Like, because all that food, as we're trying to figure out more and more, has been better represented this year. I think I'm not sure as to why. Maybe it was like a reaction to Trump, but you saw a lot more esoteric ingredients and spices that you've never seen before. Wait, don't praise way. Trump for this. I no, refuse I mean, to give Trump credit. It's it's not Trump, but like you're seeing more and more. Like, for instance, if I just go through my Twitter feed, I'm seeing more kofte or kofta, which is like meatballs of that region. And you can see it over in Indian food too, yeah. but that was not happening. Five One just ago. opened right near our office. Really? Oh yeah. What's it called? It's a little Indian place. Oh, Jeff Chow and I just noticed it today. Did I ever tell you about how Joe House in college for two years lived right above an Indian restaurant called Annapurna? Where? At Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. And all of his clothes stunk of Indian food for two years, but the rent was like slightly cheaper. But did he eat there all the time? Well, that, that was the other thing. It would make him hungry constantly. So he would always <laughs> end up going down and getting like, getting, getting some Indian food. You know who shouldn't live above a restaurant? Joe House. <laughs> it was one of the worst ideas ever. Fortunately, we were playing basketball seven days a week, so it didn't matter. He's I working still enough. can't believe that I, he eats salad as much as he does. So that gets me to my prediction for food trend of 2019. Which Ready? is what? I think lunch is out. I think you we are hitting a point. That, I think we're hitting a point where the lunch audience is not going to be there. People do not want to eat heavy food for lunch. I think there's going to have to be a reimagining of lunch with salads and soups and just lighter fare and fish. And nobody wants to like be stuffed at lunch and go back to work. They just feel tired. So I think it's going to be like this whole foofy lunch scene is going to materialize with juices. And organic stuff. And it's going to be like dinner is when you load up, but lunch is just like when you're feeding your body to survive. you need to recuse yourself from this category simply because you're never someone that likes lunch. I had a sandwich today. It was a lettuce wrap tuna salad sandwich, but it was a sandwich. (laughs) You're always talking about soups. This is just you hoping to push your agenda so everyone's eating like you. No, no. As you know, LA starts a lot of the trends and then they trickle to the rest of the country, right? If you look around LA, <laughs> who's like who's like getting super stuffed at lunch? People. Not as many people. Not Isaac, as many people. Out here. You're a born Los Angelino. Yeah. LA's always been like that though. It's not like a new trend. LA people have never traditionally ate. There's just more options though. There's definitely more options. It's now. way healthier. LA is the healthiest it's ever been. You I mean, can't people walk- just gonna go around eating Soylent for lunch then? No, it's like juices and fucking salads Acai and soups. Bowls. But all these fucking people are so high all the time. They're gonna be eating lunch. <laughs> Whoever figures out so sweet greens now, which is multiplying like invasion of the body snatchers. It's like you go in, boom, 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 salad. Credit card, no tip. They don't take cash. Eat sweet greens. It's, an assembly it's great line. for you. I'm a tiny, tiny investor, so it's very good for you. Sweet greens. <laughs> yeah. But I think that kind of stuff is more and more where people are just like, I need to eat. I'm not that hungry. I don't want to work that hard at this. Oh, I'll go here. And somebody's going to figure that out with soups. And they're going to become yeah, like a billionaire. Of, you are I'm telling all you, in on soups. Soups can be the next thing. It's too hot for LA. Soup plantation, but better Soup and plantation bigger. is Garbage. I said bigger and better. 
the fact that there is a supplantation at all, let's just talk about the fucking name. It's, it's insane to me. It's an error. It's, it might need a reinvention. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. should be in a name? Yeah. Plantation. You know who's probably going to buy it? Dan Snyder. Oh! <laughs> Did I just say that? Is yeah, that, keep is that, that in. Don't cut that out, Isaac. Don't cut that out. <laughs> soups, are, soups, though, I think somebody could figure out the soup thing in a dramatic way. Aubon Pan is my favorite. Anytime I'm like in some weird city like Cleveland or Indianapolis, they always have the Aubon Pan. They have the four big vats of soup and it's delicious. Before we go on, let's take another quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Lisa. A quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster, prevent burnout, make better decisions, improve your memory, and overall make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing, it's science. To design a better mattress to give you quality night's sleep, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of scientific testing to help develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's rest for every body. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's more than 31,000 mattresses and counting. Lisa strives to leave the world better than they found it, but that doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell. My wife and I are moving to a little bit bigger spot in New York. We're going to have our kid there, and I needed some new mattresses. We're sleeping on the Lisa mattress. We got it for all the rooms. It's fantastic. I love it very much because having a good night's sleep is so important for everyone in my life. Give yourself the gift of a better night's rest this holiday. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash Chang and use promo code Chang, C-H-A-N-G at checkout. That's lisa, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash Chang, promo code Chang. And now back to the show. What's your best fast food go-to in LA? Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's, come on. Love Jimmy John's. You know, you I'm can gonna, order on the app. No. You just go and you get it. You don't, I don't have to still just eating stay like on such a fucking anymore. white guy, man. No, it's not Why? good enough. You got Guisados, is so, like they're popping up everywhere. They're so you said good. Fat, when you say fast food, that's like I just, fast food. I default to like all like Chick fil A, Jimmy John's. I, no. I didn't know you were like going like good fast food. Good fast food. <sighs> there's a hundred trucks here. Jimmy John's or Guisados? Guisados for sure. That's not fair. They're everywhere. Their Guisados turning up on every corner, it seems. This is true. So now you can re-vote, recast your vote. Well, this is more embarrassing because I've never been to Guisados. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Guisados. What is it? It's just like a taqueria that's slowly expanded. They got great agua frescas. They cook all the tortillas, all the minute. Their breakfast is delicious. It should be everywhere. So the breakfast burrito is a big thing with the Simmons kids. Too heavy. That is too heavy. Why do you want to eat that in the morning? I don't. I don't. I'm not. Do you eat a breakfast it. burrito? No. Oh my god. I need coffee for breakfast, and that's it. So let's just say that, like, if we have high end fast food, what is the low end fast food? You're still going to go to Jimmy John's as your favorite thing to eat. I like that there's an app, and I like that they're always clean, and I like that they make their own chips. I made the and I like that I can supersize stuff on the app. I could be like, you know what? I want twice as many pickles. Oh I want more cheese. Give me half more meat than you usually give. And I can put all that stuff in the app and just get it. Well, did you know that Jimmy John sold for like $3 billion? <laughs> Jimmy John's knows what they're doing. I never even knew about it till like two summers ago at a soccer tournament. Um, I was I, like, What's Just this ran- place? more random things. 
I declared this year because I got tired of defending myself. The best side dish in any fast food restaurant in the world, red beans and rice at Popeye's. Wow. Have you ever had it? Yes. What do you think? I like Popeye's a lot. But you don't like the red it beans? It took me a while to run by that. I, the red beans, that, that's a tough one for me unless oh it's my. at night because I'm just going to fart on everybody. That's fine. That's fine. Isaac, you're almost like the judge. My vote is for Popeye's. I love Popeye's. But just, Popeye's I'm just talking about red beans. Just the red bean and rice? Or any kind of side, right? This seems like a perfect like ringer thing. Didn't you guys vote in like French fries? What yeah, was it? it was the a Chick Fil A waffle fries oh my a couple God. years ago. That was terrible. I wasn't working for the, the ringer. darkest moment in ringer history. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know how you guys are still in business. <laughs> it's, it's, we barely survived. <laughs> oh my God, we barely waffle survived. Fries and Chick Fil A. Oh so God. bad. We did some weird voting so, system. So bad. It was it's terrible. like someone hacked hacked the fucking votes. It's embarrassing. I will say one thing that happened to me this year from a food trend standpoint. My daughter finally broke my will with In-N-Out Burger, and you're in. I'm in now. I get it. The double double with the way the cheese melts between the two patties. What's your order? What's your In-N-Out hack? Double double animal style lettuce wrap. All right, I've shared this before. I'm going to say it again. It's almost like when you get salmon on a lox bagel with onions and capers and tomatoes. You actually don't need the salmon because it just tastes the same. Yeah. I now don't even get. The hamburger patty in my In and Out burger. You can't even taste it. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I think Shake Shack's burger itself, the hamburger, is a better burger, right? Yeah. Technically speaking, Shake Shack, as something that I want to eat, is a more delicious, like some of the parts. Yeah. One of the things that I think is not that you don't need is like always a process of elimination is the actual hamburger patty. So if you do go to In-N-Out and since I've lived in LA now, it's way less because whenever I would visit, I would go there all the time. If you go when it's not crazy busy, ask for doubled griddled tomatoes so they can char them a little bit. Okay. It's basically animal but style. But no burger? No burger. You don't need it. You were not even going to know if I gave it to you you'd, with the sauce and the lettuce and the chili. And you got to get it spicy too, right? Double griddled tomatoes. Sometimes if there's a, a new person, they might laugh at you. But the one that's near um, your office where the Chick-fil-A is, what's that? What's that location? It's on Sunset yeah. and Highland. They're going to know. I'm okay. telling you, it's really good. You're never going to notice the difference. That's, what do my, you think? that's my in and out hack. And this whole thing with the French fries is garbage. <sighs> Everyone's saying, oh, you ask for it well done. No, wrong. You can't. Yeah, you've ruined. I'm, I'm, I'm out now. No, you've ruined French fries for everybody. Because, and also, you perfected French fries. And you <laughs> named them after me. The BS fry. It's really good. But the thing is, they're smarter. That's why they make money. They only really single fry them. So anyone that says that the French fries at In-N-Out are their best French fries, you literally have to question who they are as a person. You, Isaac. Isaac's Isaac, from the producer. Here. No, from the, here. All the LA people, Kobe and In and Out, you can't mess with or with the LA people. Well, you can mess with Kobe well, all you, you want. With I'm Isaac, a you can mess fan. with Kobe with him. But for the but, most part, those are the two ones. I'm not saying I don't order the French fry. I think it's an important part of the In and Out experience. And I think they do it on purpose. If you don't think that you could sell a better French fry, of course they fucking could. They could. They do it because it's visible right then and there that it sells freshness. What do you think is out of all the fast food places? The best gimmick that has been the most wasted opportunity. What do you mean gimmick? Or like just like name of a restaurant slash what they do. It should have worked out better. For me, it's Fat Burger. You know. Fat Burger, great title. I should go to Fat Burger and I know what I'm getting. I'm getting a nice big fat burger that tastes good. And it's just, I'm never totally Well, satisfied. this is a good thing to end on because I have a whole list. 
the one place in LA that I really want to go to, and I've never been my fucking entire life, is Apple Pan. Oh. And it's like my nirvana to be able to go there I without go. any of you guys. Uh, I want to Solo, can I go with milkshake, you? that fucking burger, the pictures, everything about it is like what is good in America. Don't forget about the surly waitstaff. Oh, One of my just, favorite things. They like, have no that's right interest. My, that's right in my- They are my, not trying to win you over. It's like, what heaven. do you want? Here it is. They slam the check down in front of you and then just like, get out. We, get, we need to get somebody else in here. Restaurant of the year. Wait, why are you doing the other stuff without me? I don't want anyone. When I go to Apple Pan, I've literally been waiting. And every time it's so far away from me, I'm like, oh, fuck. I can't go there. Zoe has Zoe and Ben, my two kids, have had games on that side of town where coming back to where we live, it'd be in traffic for an hour and a half. And you just kind of look at each other and like, Apple Pan. Who doesn't like Apple Pan? I mean, I, I wouldn't trust somebody who didn't like Apple Pan. I would think they were like a Russian spy. So let's just get this out of the way and then we'll just call it an end. What restaurants, and that's the thing, what's great about LA, besides a lot of the newer stuff, there are all these iconic spots. What are some restaurants like Apple Pan for someone that's never been to LA and they've been to all the hot spots, but they need to knock them out? Apple Pan's on the list. Musso and Frank's is on the list. For the experience. Experience. The waiters wearing tuxedos and all that stuff. What's the other one? I still feel like Dan Tana's. Tana's. You got to do Dan Tana's ones. I got to be honest. Here was a great restaurant. I was with Fantasy and Jeff Chow from The Ringer. We had a meeting in Beverly Hills and we were going to come back. And I just got excited to go to the Ivy. It was a Friday. We're kind of done with work for the week. Showed up at the Ivy. Rolled in like 115. So it was actually pretty easy to sneak in. Little outdoor table. You know what's still great? The Ivy. The Ivy was the hottest restaurant in LA when I moved here. And then it became like, you move into that like Dantana zone where you've been around forever. People know you're never going away. There's no urge city to go to. People they still have, go? Oh, it's still packed. You'll see random weird celebrities. You get to sit outdoors. They have the Ivy Gimlet, which is my favorite drink in LA. I never get Gimlets. I only get them here. The fried chicken's out of control. They always have, they'll throw in lobster with anything. So they'll have like lobster ravioli, seven pound lobster, lobster and steak. Like they love lobster. Just everything. It's just an experience. I, I can't accept that somebody would live in LA for more than a couple of years and not go there once. What's the steakhouse that? You, oh my god, fuck! I love Langer so much. You don't go to Langer's that much, do you? I went a while ago. I like Langer's. Number nineteen. Holy fuck! Bestia's got to go there once. Bestia, people love. That's a classic. Would you put Pacific Dining Car? You love that place. Pacific Dining Car. Any put, place Chen wants to go to is not on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Philippe's French Dip. I'd put that on. I like Philippe's French Dip's up there. I, I, I stopped going so much because it's too close to vegetable. <laughs> Yang Chao's Slipper Shrimp. Where, did we, eat, where did we eat? Oh my God. We were at the NBA All-Star Game. Hershey. <laughs> Hershey and Hershey's wife brought like five containers of slippery shrimp. Were you there for that? Yeah, and I ate one of them. It was so good. <laughs> so many fucking, that was really good. And the other thing I, I, I'm questioning because it's sort of a chain, but such an icon besides Matsuhisa, that's like Hall of Fame, Valhalla already level. What about Lowry's? Is that up there? No one goes there? Not 100% for me. No? There's another one in Beverly Hills. They move Medeo and- that's another kind of old school, but high-end Italian experience. And I, I went there twice this year and both times I was like, lights out, fantastic. Baldi on Beverly Hills is really good too. 
that's old school, pure, hardcore Italian, where like the waiters have accents and stuff. And I'm gonna, I've, I've spent what eleven months out of the past twelve, thirteen, more or less, in LA. The one restaurant, and everyone has their, um, oh, that's too far away. When you're like trying to plan for a place to go, the one place that I feel like is consensus for location and for the kinds of cuisine that it offers is Republic. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Dude, it's so crazy. You mentioned Republic. Everyone's like, yep, okay, we'll see you there. Yeah. It's amazing. And I remember when they knocked, they basically knocked out Campanile and moved Republic in there. And, I, and it was like, people were pissed because Campanile was in one of the best restaurants here, in my opinion. And so, they knocked that one out and it became Republic. And it was actually probably a better restaurant. I think Martina is her, her name, but Walter and, and his wife, who have like restaurants in the Philippines too, it's like crazy how much they have going on. That restaurant is like New York busy. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just turning it out. So mad props. Like I, I, I really admire what they've done. And I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna shut up now. There, I could go on forever. We gotta get out. I gotta get. I gotta get to work. <laughs> Masters, what's that? Masters, dude, what's on with this? Guy? I'm taking Chris Chen just. What, Chris Chen just because maybe they didn't hear this. Chris Chen just. Volunteered, uh, what's the name of it? I don't even know of it. Mastro's? Mastro's in Beverly Hills. What's that? It's Isaac? a steakhouse. You know what? You lost your Asian card, <laughs> Chris. You lost it. It's gone. Your Asian card is now given to Bill. He's now permanently Asian. This is great. I applied a year ago. <laughs> so excited. Maestro's? Mastro's? What the fuck? It's ridiculous. Is it good though? Well, we hey, also oh, know what you like. Last thing is there. Was there a new appliance or anything this year that you were super excited about? Like a homemade waffle maker or homemade grilled cheese maker or meatball maker or anything like that? The one thing that, this is actually true. So I've been checking this out and I was embarrassed to say, because like if you reveal too much about this stuff, you seem like a total, like you're maybe shilling, but I'm not. Breville came out with this pizza oven that's indoors and gets to like 800 degrees. and it's like, I want to buy it for myself for Christmas. So I think if they can unlock. Who did Breville? Oven, Breville came up with essentially a toaster oven that you can put like a 12 inch, 14 inch pie. I haven't even seen it. I've just seen people using it on video. I'm like, How there's no it? way. It's probably like, um, it's like the size of um, a pizza box. That's like a foot tall, you know? That sounds amazing. Yeah. You don't I've know. wanted that my whole life. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Right. And man, Breville, I'm not getting any money from Breville. Fuck you guys. But <laughs> I can't believe I'm plugging them because the pizza, if you can make pizza without having to have a fucking pizza oven, but that kind of quality and hotter than a pizza oven, I can't think of a device that could alter a kitchen more than that. Imagine having pizza every day. That's pretty good. Pie. I've never been satisfied with toasters either. I feel like, you know, like we had pizza the, on Sunday night and then I wanted to heat it up on Monday. It should be just so much easier to heat up a piece of pizza. Only problem is this. Like, you actually have to, like, make the dough. Would you ever do that? Your kids might, right? I used to make my own pizzas. What? Yeah. Your mom did. No, I used to make them. I used to cook. I don't cook anymore. But I used to cook way more in the 90s. It was Bill always a good way to impress a pizza. date. I swear to God. I would make all my mom's recipes what and the, just follow the instructions. What date? What number date do you cook? Well, we're talking the 90s. Yeah. I mean, you had to do everything possible just to talk somebody into kissing you. Um, it's just it's a big struggle in the 90s. Um, that's probably like date three. Okay. Yeah. 
But making the making the homemade Caesar salad such an impressive move. What was your like go to dish? You're like set up. I like this girl a lot. I'm gonna impress her. What was salad? Caesar salad. Wine. Caesar salad. Glass of wine, and then either some sort of pounded chicken thing. You're making chicken farm. No, you don't make because that could go either way with a date. You don't know if they're gonna like chicken parm, but they'll eat chicken. Like a chicken pyre type of thing. You gotta pound it and do the bread correctly, the breaded stuff correctly. Or I'd make my own uh meat sauce. And the meat sauce was actually good. I was actually really good at making that. And what? I would spend like five, six hours on it. Whoa. Yeah. And dessert? No. No dessert. The dessert was me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year! Happy New Year! You you got your New Year's advice? <laughs> Auto press a date. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Congrats on a great year. Congrats on the best of 2018 Apple Podcast. Thank you, Podfather. Really grateful for the opportunity. Thanks getting to, to work everyone with spreading the word out there. Isaac and the whole Ringer team, Chris, both Chris and Chris Yang. It's been great. Excited to call this place the podcast home. And I'm sitting where it all happens right now. It's great. Congratulations.